0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Secret Birds HQ podcast and this is podcast episode number 47 and today we are joined by Regine Theodat and Regine is the founder of Maya Belle Haiti which is based in Haiti rather and Regine uh, left Haiti with her parents at the age of two to live in Massachusetts. Is that correct Regine? That is correct yes hello hello (laughs) and and she returned to Haiti uh, about 20 years later as a qualified lawyer to um, like most Haitians at the time to assist with the damage that was left as a result of the 2010 earthquake and whilst Regine was there providing advice about rights and so on and so forth she realized there was an opportunity and she, she, I guess, within that time, she picked up on that opportunity, and I'll let her tell more of the story, but eventually that led to the opening of My Bell Restaurant and Cocktail Bar in 2013. So she describes herself as a recovering lawyer, uh, and she grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts, as I said before, from a quintessential first-generation Haitian household. So thank you so much for joining us today, Regine.
1: Thank you so much, Joanne, for having us. I'm really excited to be here to share some of my experience with the, um, the
0: audience. Fantastic. And we're going to be discussing a really interesting topic today. So Regina is going to be sharing with us creating a business in a developing country with little to no info to start. And this is an incredible topic because our community centers um Early stage entrepreneurs who are operating in developing economies. So it's really, really um, insightful. I think it's going to be really insightful to hear your story and how you did it. And I hope it galvanizes others to to do the same, or people who maybe not may not be from those countries but want to work inside those countries. So let's begin, shall we? Okay. Okay. So first, um, before we start it, dive dive deep into the conversation, can you tell us a little bit more about just you, and fill in that gap in terms of how you went from being a lawyer, helping in Haiti, to actually starting the business.
1: Okay, well, um, a little bit about myself. So, as um, Joanne was explaining, my name is Regine Feoda, and I lived in Haiti until I was about two years old. So, my parents immigrated to Massachusetts in 1986, Um, and this was right after the coup d'etat, not coup d'etat, I'm sorry, after the after the dictator at the time was ousted. Um, and so I grew up in Massachusetts. I always really loved everything about Haiti. Like I was that kid at school that always did the fairs around Haiti. I'd wear my traditional Haitian dress. I wanted everyone to eat rice and beans. Like I just, I really loved, I, I just had like a, I was enamored by Haiti. I didn't go to Haiti very often as a child. I only went two or three times in my entire lifetime. But I just always had this magic about the island that I could never quite place my fingers on. Um, And one of the things that I loved is how passionate Haitians would talk about Haiti. And they always pointed to the law. Like the law is the reason why they can't live at home in their beautiful country. The law is the reason why um, it's so corrupt. The law is the reason why things don't work the way they're supposed to. So that enamor mixed in with the conversations I heard as a child made me go into law. So I always knew that I would, at some point, move to Haiti and do some kind of work, but I always assumed I would be in my 50s or my 60s, and I would kind of do it after I had made my money as a corporate lawyer, after I had like spent my time in the U.S. I never imagined that I would move to Haiti one year into my career as a lawyer and go into business. And so after the 2010 earthquake, I was working as a, um, I was working in a law firm. I was doing a mix of things, but it was mostly white collar criminal defense and some financial crimes and corporate law. And I I mean, I really enjoyed the work, um, but I felt unsatisfied with the environment. And so it it seemed like it would have been a great time for me to go after the earthquake. Like everyone was going down and it was, you were seeing all these images and the images weren't people that looked like me. And it made me realize that people that were going down were not people that were Haitian and that didn't sit super right with me. Uh, and so I came down with the idea for three months. I would do a lot of like human rights work, the, the kind of things that I heard bring up, you know, that the law didn't work, the economy didn't work in Haiti. And so we needed to fix the law. And so in my head as a lawyer, I just wanted to come down and fix the law so that things would work properly. And so I came down, I was doing the, you know, your rights trainings in a, a shanty town right outside of the capital. And every time I did a training, the only question that people would ask me at the end is, how do I get a visa out of here? So I realized that not that I was wasting my time, but that there was a disconnect with people understanding their rights if they didn't have the economic power to exercise those rights. Um, you can't change a country's laws if nobody wants to stay in the country because it's so miserable for them. And so that's when I started to go into business. I first started with economic development. I went into aid work, um, aid revolving around economic development, and I still actually work, um, work in that field now. And that also led to some different activities that made me invest in a business that was at the time. Um, it, was, it was two partners that wanted to open up a restaurant, and I gave so much of my opinion that I just became an investor, and then I became a more active investor, and we kind of just all created this idea together, very haphazardly. It was almost like it was just serendipitous, like ideas are being thrown around, people were responding, and then we were creating, and we were building. And before I knew it, we had a cocktail bar and a restaurant, and before I knew it, we had um, a food and beverage piece of the business that had the processing center, before I knew it, we had a farm, and now we have 18 employees, a farm, a processing center, a restaurant, and we have 65 farmers in our network that we supply from.
0: Incredible. And it's pronounced Miabel, right?
1: Yeah, Miabel or Myabel, either, either. I think Myabel would be the English pronunciation. So I tend to say Bell because I, I mostly speak about our business in Haiti, and that right. would be how you say it with the okay. fertile accent.
0: And what does Miabel stand for? What does it mean? Does it have a significance? Uh,
1: it, it doesn't. So what it is, it's one of our partners, one of our partners when we started the restaurant, um, her name, first name starts with M-Y, and our other partner, his last name starts with A-B-E-L. So my other partner, he's the one who created the name, and that name had existed before I got involved. They just brought me to this garage and said, we're going to name it this, and they had no real idea how to start, and having been in the restaurant industry, sure that's when I started adding my, my advice. And so that's what it is. It's just two names mixed together. Um, It doesn't mean anything. I've discovered over the years that people have said in some languages, it means my beautiful girl, but Mm. it it doesn't, you didn't start with the idea of it to mean anything.
0: Okay. Wonderful. Wow. So that's quite the story. So when you moved initially to Haiti, you said you were doing development work. Is this with, um, was this rather with American NGOs or was this with Haitian NGOs? So it's it's a mix. It's um it
1: is a uh, uh it started off. off well, I used to work with them. It's, it's called the Intentional Family Haiti Initiative. It started originated in Europe actually. So it's multiple groups um, that are part of the Intention Family that make uh that created this program in Haiti. And so some of them are based in the U.S. Some of them are based in Europe and then I'm based in South America. So they were all over the place, and it came together, and we only exist legally in Haiti, so we are in fact a Haitian NGO, but the idea filtered down from very many different perspectives.
0: I see. Okay, and you still currently work within that, that space in addition to building the business? Yeah, exactly. Okay, fantastic. So let's talk about Mia Bell then. So what is Mia Bell?
1: So Niabell, it started off as a way to celebrate Haitian culture through food and mostly cocktails. And so, when I first moved to Haiti, I, I was a bartender. That's how I, I did a lot of made a lot of money, my money to pay for school. So I bartended and I also worked in restaurants as a server. And so, for me, I always gravitated towards mixed drinks. And when I first moved to Haiti, they just didn't exist the same way that they do now. And I was really confused because as being the nationalist that I am, I'm convinced that we have the best mangoes, we have the best juice, we have the best rum. And so for me, it felt like, why aren't we drinking cocktails instead of just straight rum? And so that's how it started. Um, and so it started off as a cocktail bar and a client who was a friend of ours started asking us to bottle one of our mango picotes, which is like a spicy mango squash And we didn't really pay attention to her because we were kind of struggling. We were not kind of, we were very much struggling with our business. Um, We opened with very, with all of our own funds, we had not a lot of access to information the way you would have in the U.S. And um, we opened and it just felt like we weren't um, being successful yet. And so this, it sort of felt like a tangent, like a distraction. So we didn't pay attention to her for almost a year, which is probably one of my biggest regrets with our business is that we didn't pay attention to her for a year. When we finally did pay attention to her and bottled this product, we sold 8,000 units in 18 months. And that's what kept our business afloat. And that's when we realized that we should really be focusing on that. And so to answer your question, MyAbel is a food and beverage company that celebrates patient gastronomy. Uh, We have our processing center where we process four lines of products, uh, ice seeds, cocktails, sauces, and hot sauces. cooking sauces and hot sauces. We have our farm where we develop and produce our long-term crop. We, we also source directly from farmers all over the country. We also still exist as a restaurant and a catering business, but um, it's just a way for all of these pieces of our business to combine to be essentially a celebration of Haitian food and a way to promote what we loved about Haiti that we felt like other people weren't capable to witness.
0: So you're covering the entire loop you said you've got the farm the food and 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 everything that's that's really impressive because most i don't think most restaurants do that so it's almost like a farm to table concept that you've got going would you describe it that way
1: yeah it is it it essentially is that way so we're very vertically integrated Mm. um it's something i pushed against a lot as a as an entrepreneur um i'm not i'm not naturally an entrepreneur my other partner is he loves to start businesses. He's not very risk adverse. I'm very risk adverse. And mm-hmm. so one of the things I did that I, I do wish I had learned earlier on is mm-hmm. believing in myself as an entrepreneur. So I always push back against being vertically integrated because for me, it felt like, why would I do all this work? I should be outsourcing. And the thing about, I don't know about other developing countries, but certainly in Haiti, what I've learned is you do have to be more comfortable being vertically integrated. Because so many things don't exist. If you are outsourcing your farming or outsourcing um, your bottling, you're going to run into trouble. Um, you're going to run into somebody who's um, not used to doing things on a timely manner. it be perhaps somebody who doesn't understand the scale the same way that you do. And so over the years, we just become more and more vertically integrated. Um, and now I embrace it and just figure out ways to make it work. But um, at the very beginning, it was definitely very difficult for me because I think I have a very U.S. way of thinking of things, a very developed country way of thinking about things. And and that, I think, hampered our business earlier on.
0: Mm. Okay. So how does one create a business in a developing country? And I guess this conversation would be geared towards someone who is like yourself originally from the country, but lived abroad for a while, as you just said, coming with a Western or an American or what have you mindset, or do you think it's also applicable for people who are actually on the ground in those countries who've never left?
1: Yeah, I think it's applicable for both. I think maybe in different ways. Right. So I grew up abroad. One of my partners is, I I call him Haitian Haitian. He's lived (laughs) in Haiti um, his entire life. And so it's interesting. Cross of information, but the things that we both had to learn how to do because there's not much of a model that exists, um, at least in Haiti. Um, there's not a model that's like we could follow and say, this person did this way, so then we can do it that way. And then it also felt like for me at the beginning, when somebody made it, they didn't want to share information.
0: Mm-hmm. And so I
1: try to be opposite. Like I always try to share as much information as possible. I'm not going to give away our trade secrets. I'm not going to give away our recipes, but I do want to not have people make the same mistakes that I made at the beginning. Um, So, sorry, sorry.
0: go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, do you think as an entrepreneur, it's uh, operating in a country like Haiti where there is no model? Do you think that's advantageous? Because there's nothing there, so you're literally starting from the ground up. That means you, you can create, you can innovate, you can make mistakes. Whereas if there's a model that's already established, you're kind of expected to follow it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess it, I guess it does. Everything has its negatives and its positives. Right. Um, certainly, it, I always would joke that I, I, like, we call it a virgin country here. Like, literally every industry
0: that you can think of has room to grow. Wow, um, that's it, tremendous so opportunity for entrepreneurs, though. Tremendous. Opportunities for entrepreneurs, but there's no information. So it means that, like, I mean, it's sort, of, it's sort of like the industrial
1: era in the U.S. where it was just like people were just trying things out. And there is a big entrepreneurial boom right now in Haiti. Um, a lot of entrepreneurs in my generation have come back. Yeah. And it's like a bunch of people trying to figure things out. And we're all in this space where there is not a model. But it, it, you're, you are right. We were able to make mistakes that if I had made these mistakes in the U.S., my business would have failed. Um, we have made a lot of mistakes. And if food is... Very difficult. Um, and so we made a lot of mistakes earlier on, um, being too, too informal, following the Haiti model of informality too much, uh, many different things that I know if I had done in the space, my business would not exist currently.
0: Mm, so I guess uh, a lot of it is also taking the time to understand the market that you're operating in because if you've got no model, you're literally starting from scratch.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. So what would you, what are you proposing then? What are the steps you think one needs to take to develop your business on the ground in a developing country? If you had to break it down into some steps.
1: Yeah. And I was thinking about this a lot recently because I was trying to figure out the best way to package what we did. Right. Right. Um, So um, something that we did early on that I, I think was very helpful is that we started creating our own standards. Um, And so for the food and beverage industry in Haiti, especially around bottling and packaging, um, there is a government entity that's in charge of it, but there's no information available about how you're supposed to do about what you're supposed to do. So we spent almost a year trying to get a food scientist in Haiti to develop a plan for us, and it was impossible. So in the end, I just learned it myself. I went online in the US, I took a course, I, I learned about bottling and processing, and the standard that we use in our transformation center is the U.S. standard. And, and so early on, the thing that I would recommend is that you create your own standards. You create, you look for the best standard that exists, and then you follow that one. Um, I do not not say that the U.S. is the best standard, but it at the very least gets us exportable to a larger market. The second thing I, I would say is mm-hmm. to think about your company in terms of the biggest potential that it could possibly be. The mistake I made early on is that I thought of our business as a restaurant that was servicing a very particular audience, and I thought in our business plan, we were going to open three or four other restaurants, but I never put in my head the idea that our business would be international. And so I didn't dream about our business in the largest scale possible, but limited my thinking early on. And so if I had done that earlier, I would have grown our business a lot faster.
0: But that's also because you said you are risk averse. So if you're risk averse, you're probably not thinking that big, are you? Cause you're, you're you want to move in baby steps.
1: Yeah. And I did, I have moved in baby steps for three years. And um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm very risk averse. I'm, I'm still risk averse, but I'm smart about it now. I understand oh. that I have to, um, I have to manage our business and my risk and in a way that's beneficial for our company.
0: Right, right, right. Okay, so create your own standards. Think globally. Um, think internationally. Yeah. I mean, we live in a global world, so how does the saying go, think global, act local, or something like that? Exactly. Right. Okay, and then what's the, what, what's the next thing you would recommend?
1: The third thing I would recommend is do your research um, the way that the country allows you to do your research. And so, um, in Haiti, there's not, like in the U.S., if you're opening up a business, you could go to the Chamber of Commerce, you could go to um, a different, there there are places that you could access that are very easy for you to get information. In Haiti, we have a country where we pass things down generation to generation. It's still a country where a lot of the medicinal properties are are passed down verbally. Like, we're very much an oral country. Like, most of our news is disseminated through the radio. And for me, being very Western, it was always hard for me to get information in Haiti because I couldn't capture information the same way. So I had to learn to be able to capture information that way. And so I would recommend informational interviews with everyone. Um, and gather information the way that it exists in the country. Uh, I'm sure that at some point it would be very beneficial for us as a company to develop some case studies about us so that people that aren't able to go around and get information verbally from different people can actually assess that inf- access that information in a different way. Right. Uh, because at this point, I, I, I think the country depends on more investors coming in and they're not going to come in and, you know, interview 100 people to start the business like we did. Right. Uh, and so that's the third thing is to just be flexible. So be flexible for how the information in the country is available. That would be our third. And the fourth is start small, little pilots. Hmm. Um, and, and so something that I always needed, I always needed everything to be perfect for me to start. Like I needed to have all of the information available. I needed to understand things completely. Whereas my other partner, he's very different. He is not, not risk averse, So he'll jump both feet in and try something. Mm. And for me, I needed all the information. And, and sometimes, and very often he's been right, is that, that um, if, we, if you just do a little test before you know it, you figure things out. So when we were opening up our factory space, I wanted all of the cash available for us to start this space, and everything to be perfect. Like I wanted every single requirement to be met. I wanted our space to be completely finalized. And one day, he just made like a like a like a corner of the space and he made it functional for bottling, and uh, it worked. And we did our first production run that day, mm-hmm. and we just grew from there. As cash came in, we grew our space. And now our space is fully outfitted. It took almost two years, but we were able to grow in that two years with marketing and expanding and producing and selling our products in a way that we would not have if we had waited for everything to be just right before we launched.
0: Right, right. Okay. So those are your four most important recommendations for anyone looking to start a business in a developing country. Um, how do you feel about things like um, just making sure your product is suitable for, 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 the, for the, the consumer? Do you think that's important? Because as we know, every market is different. Like people always say, oh, if you can make it in this country, you can make it anywhere. And we often hear things like if you can make it in a developing country where life is so hard and limited resources, you can make it anywhere. But do you believe that that's actually true? Or you still, do you still have to go out there and make sure that the product is actually needed?
1: Yeah, you do have to make sure that the product is actually needed. When we started our um, second phase after we had first sold that first 8,000 units
0: mm-hmm. and we
1: knew that the product was going to perform well in Haiti, we actually did a full branding. I don't want to say rebranding because that would imply the first round of products had a brand, mm-hmm. but it literally was um, what I found on Publisher. So we did focus groups. We did focus groups in Haiti and in the U.S. we made sure that our product was suitable. So that mm-hmm. I, I do think you need to make sure that you have like the meaning you have to, I, those things we respected all of those basic um, um, business concepts that I learned in the US. Um, how to do your market research, do focus groups, um, do your branding properly, um, get professional help with um, marketing and graphic design if you aren't already a professional in those names. Mm-hmm. That I agree with, but I say the other thing I do agree with about the statement you made earlier about if you can make it in Haiti, you can make or in other countries make it anywhere. I always tell people this, like I make this gist that I have in Haiti MBA because it's just <laughs> a terrain. It's like it's very hard to operate here. I think in the, there's like a, a list of doing busy of doing business. And I think there's only one country that's part of it. and I I can't remember what country it is, and I can't even imagine a country harder to do business than Haiti. I, I think the adaptability and the flexibility and the problem-solving and the critical thinking that I've developed over the last five years of running this business, I, I do think I could run a business just about anywhere
0: because yeah, you, know.
1: mm-hmm. you have to be so yeah. creative to, to, oh, yeah. to solve these business and to create a company culture, to manage the, the, the government here, to manage paying taxes, to manage electricity, the logistics, like I, I think I left micromanaging behind because everything is something that like, we're, we're so vertically integrated that we produce our own electricity. Like wow. it's, just, it's, 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 it's a tough country to do business in. And if you meet somebody from Haiti or from a developing country as tough as Haiti that has made it past the three-year mark, I think that person, more likely, more likely than not, has a pretty good ability to manage a startup just about anywhere.
0: Yeah, because, you know, when you're coming from a developed nation, a first world country, Canada, anywhere in North America, the United States or Western Europe, Australia or whatnot, there's so many systems in place and everything is streamlined and it's smooth and it's easy. Developing countries have... So many issues you've got to deal with underground, like you said, it, just not basic things like not having electricity, not having Wi-Fi, not having systems, you know, having to pay someone to do something for you, i.e. bribes. I mean, it's, it's the norm or, you know, you can't go into the government office because the queue is out the door and you, you don't know anyone on the inside. And there's all these issues that you have to deal with. And if you're not used to that, if you don't know how to cope, you'll give up. And I think if, like you said, if you can manage in a country like a T. or any other developing country, it's going starting to trying to develop a business in say the us or in in, in, in Canada. it's it's a piece of cake, isn't it, after that point? <laughs> yeah. it will be a piece of cake, yeah: yeah, definitely. yeah
1: so we're export process right now for the u s, and it's amazing how much information is just available online.
0: yeah, <laughs>
1: it's, 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 yeah it's, it's amazing.
0: And, um, I think, and I agree with you. You've got your MBA because you, you've had to learn on the ground. And I do believe there's some truth in if you can build a business in an emerging market or a developing country, everything else is a piece of cake because there's just, there's just too much that you have to, to cope with outside of the usual norms of building a business. And I think it really makes you, it makes you uh, tenacious. It makes you hardworking and much more driven than the average entrepreneur. Yeah. So what about things like political issues? Because one of the reasons we're called developing is because we're mired with political issues. <laughs> so how how does one navigate the, the political climate in a in a country where they're trying to start a business? Is it just okay, stay out of politics? But can you really stay out of politics in a developing country where politics kind of creeps into everything? How how do you deal with that? Yeah,
1: yeah politics does kind of creep into everything. So where the restaurant is there was a period of time where they were appointing different mayors and i think in a year we had six different mayors and so the first two i would go and i'd introduce myself and say oh this is where we are this is our business blah blah By the time the third and the fourth one came around, i just i just removed myself um and it's and I, I think i'm mixed on this um i we do we try to stay out of politics as much as possible mm. um we service everyone and so when the regime changes We make sure that we are friendly with every single type of political party there is. Um, I'm very neutral in that sense. But I do, one thing I don't agree with that I I think a lot of businesses are doing in Haiti is that we are so sick of politics and the change and like the the landscape and the constant, it's exhausting as a business owner to try to figure out what is going on, who's in charge and, and these different things that people just don't want to have anything to do with it. And I think that's a mistake. And that's something that I'm hoping that I can advocate for more with with my other fellow entrepreneurs is that we need to get involved as business owners as to what's going on politically. Um, We need to do exactly what they do in every other country. We need to lobby for the things that will make it easier for us. Because while we're all sitting here grinding at our businesses, there are some very easy fixes that the government could put in place, especially if they're going to market us as open for business, which we are. Absolutely. Haiti's. absolutely open for business, there are a breadth of opportunities that exist, but they don't make a whole lot of sense if there aren't some very basic um, things put in place by the government. And so something that um, myself and other entrepreneurs have started talking about is how do we lobby around ideas that we can present to the government that are easy fixes that would make it easier for us to do business in Haiti and easier for other people to come in to do business in Haiti. And so while I keep my business affairs very apolitical. Um, I would never support a particular candidate as a business uh, person. I I, would accept something that's my style. But something I would definitely get behind with all of my energy are very specific policies. And that I do want to start in the next two or three years as our business becomes more stable and I have more time. I do want to start throwing myself behind some policy that I think would make overall sense for, for the country. And I, I think I'd probably do that for some chamber of commerces. There are more chambers of commerces that are becoming more organized around advocacy for specific policies related to business.
0: Right. So don't become apathetic. Try to engage. It, it almost sounds like you're saying there's a thin line. Okay. Don't become completely apathetic. You've got to engage, but you've got to know how to engage. You've got to be sophisticated yeah. enough to know Okay, I can get along with everybody and I can be neutral like Switzerland. They're always neutral, (laughs) but um, but not get involved too much. You know, that requires that. Yeah, that requires a lot of sophistication, to be honest, because um, politics, you know, you talk to one person and then it gets around that you're friendly with one person and then they go tell another person who's in this party and it can become a very messy situation very quickly. So um, it sounds like you're doing a really good job at balancing it all. Yeah. 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 And That's our
1: parties in here are very fluid. Like people change parties pretty often. Oh, and wow. So I think
0: okay.
1: we have like 200 something parties here. Oh, goodness. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're, we a never a tiny do anything little
0: halfway. island in the Caribbean, how does that happen? <laughs> wow.
1: We never do anything halfway. We're always extra. So, yeah, we have quite, <laughs> a,
0: few, quite a few political things. One, one last thing I wanted to bring up was how important is it to you Um, I mean, I know you're already doing it Um, to invest and work locally, for example, local partners, local in within your supply chain, your distribution, employing local people, because there are a lot of people who come from abroad and they say, you know what, I can't deal with this. I'm not even going to bother. I'm going to outsource everything from abroad. I'm going to import, yada, 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 which means that their costs are much higher. Business disruptions, maybe you know they're they're more your business is more volatile to external disruptions, et cetera. But I know you're Haitian, so obviously you want to work with Haitian people. You want to to have Haitian people employed in your company, which you're already doing. But do you think that's something that should happen? Do you think that's a priority, or what's your what's your position on that?
1: Um, so for us, it's incredibly important to buy local, support local. Our supply chain is local. We only have Haitians employed with us. Um, Not to say that we would never hire someone that's not Haitian, but we haven't um, had that opportunity. Uh, Haiti is a country where a lot of things are outsourced. Um, I think it's one of the reasons why our economy is so poor right now is because people started realizing it was cheaper to import goods than it was to produce goods. And I think that takes our GDP. And that's one of the reasons why our gourd has depreciated so much.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: for, for us, it's always been, I, I, I would rather close our business than begin to export things. Like, as I said before, I'm not naturally an entrepreneur mm-hmm. um, I'm, and I'm pretty risk adverse. And the reason why I got into this business is because I wanted it to be a celebration of Haiti. And if it turns into something that's not that, uh, I, I would not continue to, to do that. I would, I would find, I would go back to being a lawyer. I'd go back to doing something else. Um, but, and I, I can't say that other people should do it because it is incredibly difficult and it makes yes. our cost incredibly high.
0: Yes.
1: Um, because if one can imagine, it's actually cheaper to import things from abroad than it is to buy them from local sources in Haiti because our production levels have tanked so much. Wow. And because we're also inefficient, I mean, there are no different things, but um, it's always more, it's always less expensive to purchase from um, the import. And, and so as a company, our value is that we buy things that are local. And, we, and it's hard to work with people locally because a lot of them have never been employed.
0: Yeah. And
1: there is a lot of countries, lot of countries that um, provide managers to Haitians, but I'm not, I'm not sure that we would never. And so I, I can't tell another business owner to do, to use our model because it's very difficult. And it's, um, when I look at our numbers, I do wonder, I do notice and I understand that if I were to do it differently, we would make a lot more money and we probably grow a lot faster. But our core value is against that.
0: Yeah, and, and that's so what I was going to say. It depends on the business's values. I mean, you're looking at the long term, you want to create something sustainable as well. So, and, yeah. and it's in line with your business values. And like you said, you can't tell another business what to do. Every business has got to evaluate what matters to them. So, yeah. And I-, I do think, I do
1: think it's a business decision on our part, um, because I think 30 to 50 years now, like I don't want it to stop with me. Like I don't want it to die. With me, I want it to be something that's sustainable, that grows with the country, and yeah. that at some point people can invest in the way we are investing now. I think it's just year after year that that's when you start to see the dissidence. Like, I have other um, colleagues who may have issues importing items, um, but I'm not going to have that issue because all of our items are in country. So, if we have an embargo or if we have an economic crisis, everything that I have. In country, and I'm not going to have to worry about trying to figure out how to get our products in um, right. during a crisis. And and so for me, uh, I, I think long term this is the best strategy, and I think it impacts the GDP better, um, and and that, and that I think overall makes the country richer. And if we get richer, then I think my business can get richer. And, and so for me, I,
0: um. Yes yes, 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 yeah, oh sorry, that's all right, <laughs> but um, it's been really, really good speaking with you Regine. I know you have to go soon because you've got another really important meeting. But I just wanted to say um, thank you so much. I know Wi-Fi can be an issue sometimes and you're very busy, so I really, really appreciate you um, giving me some of your time today. And I really want to commend you for all the work that you're doing in Haiti. I mean, you've made a choice to go back to Haiti. Um, you didn't have to do that. Obviously, you're very passionate about your country. And you are appreciated in all the great work that you're doing, and I'm very excited to see where Mia Bell goes. In the future, I'm sure it's going to be hugely successful.
1: Yeah, well, thank you so much, Joanne, for organizing this and giving us the opportunity to share our platform with a a large audience. Um, I think the more information that's out there, the better. And um, thank you so much for being able to find a way to kind of group us all, women entrepreneurs in developing countries in one space.
0: Yes, absolutely. I'm trying my best. And before you go, can you tell everyone um, where to reach you just very quickly, your website, if there's anything that you're looking for, a collaborator, a partner, um, if, if people want to interview you, where they can email you, just general contact information.
1: Okay, so our company is uh, Maya Bell. M-Y-A-B-E-L. And you'll find us online at www.myabelle.hp. So, the name of our company, M-Y-A-B-E-A, at Regine at Miabel.ht. So my first name is spelled R-E-G-I-N-E. You can also find us at info at Miabel.ht. At this moment, we're looking for partners for experts Um, We're looking to export to the U.S. We're looking to export to other parts of the Caribbean. Um, And so those inquiries are welcome at uh, our website or at my email. People can contact me directly.
0: Okay. Perfect. All right. Rare ones. That is it. You've heard from Regine and I hope you've been inspired in some way and please do get in contact. I will also put all of the information once it is posted on the website. So you'll be able to um, get her details from there as well. So thank you so much, Regine. And I look forward to having you back on the podcast again, because I'm very excited to hear how things progress. All right. Thanks so much. Great. Thank you too.